Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Pastor Aaron DeLong here. I want to say thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate you joining us. We are starting a brand new sermon series called carols today. And I'm very excited that you're here at the very start of this series. It'll be a four-week series. I would love for you to plan to join us over the next couple weeks so that you get it in its entirety. Here's what we're doing. We have gathered a collection of songs that you are more than likely familiar with. They're Christmas songs that you hear when you're shopping, when you're at home, when you're driving around. You hear them every single year. And our hope is that we grab a hold of some of these songs that you're familiar with already, and maybe grab a hold of some of the lyrics that you might not have recognized before and understand how these songs, a lot of them, were written to be worship songs. They're songs that were written so that you can engage in your relationship with God. And I promise you that once you realize that, it will not only change your holidays, but I believe that it can change your life. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to look at one of my very favorite songs, and it is the song Oh, Holy Night. Now, let me give you a little bit of history and some context behind it before we jump into it scripturally. First of all, this song was written in the mid-1800s, and this is a fascinating story, uh, written by a guy named Placide Capot. He's a French wine merchant and poet. And uh, the way that this came about that he wrote this is that a Catholic priest actually asked him to write the poem in honor and celebration of the fact that their organ had just been renovated. So they're having this big party around that. And he asked this guy to write it. Now, what's interesting about the priest even approaching him to write this is that Capot was an atheist, and he was also anti-clergy, which means that he was not okay with the established uh, organizations of religion. He was not okay with the established uh, leadership of religion. Like, he was anti all of that. And yet... He chose to take on the job of writing this poem. So he studied Luke uh, and, and got the story, and then he wrote this poem, and this is what came out of it. Now, what's interesting is, is that it was just a poem at that time, but later there was an opera singer named Emily Laurie who read it, and she loved it. And so she asked one of her musician friends to take it and put music to it so that she could sing it during a midnight Catholic mass. The person she asked to do it was an Orthodox Jew, somebody that was, did not believe in Christ and yet was longing for the Messiah to come. They were Jewish. And so they wrote the music to it. So very two, two unlikely people uh, did not work together, but ultimately uh, collaborated to make the song that we have now as O Holy Night. And of course, Lori sang the song. And when she sang the song at that midnight mass, it went like wildfire across uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the church world, and of course, everybody was very, very excited about it, and it got lots of play until the Catholic Church learned who had wrote it, and so they banned the song from being played in its churches. Fast forward a few years into the 1900s, and it's in the year 1906 that Reginald Fessenden, he's a 33-year-old university professor, used to be a chemist for Thomas Edison, he did the impossible on a Christmas Eve by taking this new type of generator he had created in order to broadcast voice and sound across the airwaves that were already being used by Morse code operators. So you had people on the other ends of these things that are getting the do 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 And Fessenden wanted to take that, those radio waves, and communicate his voice and other things across it. So the very first thing he does 
on Christmas Eve is he opens the Bible to Luke chapter 2 and he reads the first verse and then he gets on his violin and he plays the very first song that was ever broadcast across the airwaves was Oh Holy Night. Very, very cool story behind this song. Loved learning all about that when I was reading it because I already love this classic song. So before we go any further, let's take a listen uh, and, and take a moment to listen to our worship team and their take on the song, Oh Holy Night. i 
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Holy Night. Man, what a beautiful song. I don't know about you, but that song evokes so many emotions in me uh, from years and years of listening to it. What a beautiful song. What beautiful ideas in it. Uh, uh, Chains shall he break, for slaved is our brother. Man, so, so amazing. I love it. Now, this song, if you're like me, it, it's very moving to you. And it's singing about a night where Mary is giving birth to Jesus. It's, this is the old holy night where everything was about to change. But I wonder if we were actually present, if we would feel the same emotions that we feel today. Because this night, while it was holy, it was anything but the peaceful song that we sing on a regular basis. It was not quiet. It was not soothing. It was anything but beautiful. Let me explain. I think that we have a tendency to look at this night through the lens of what our nativities are, right? The nativity scene is what you see on the front lawn of a church, or even on the front lawns of people's houses where they're beautifully lit up. Everybody is clean and looks like an angel. And there are angels present and there are shepherds present and there are cattle that are laying so nicely nearby. And even the straw bed that Jesus is laying in looks soft and clean. And Mary, though she's just given birth, looks just so beautiful and clean and and, and, and they're in this open air like barn thing, and, and, and it just looks amazing, and it was anything but that. That night was chaotic. That night was full of pain. That night was full of a whole bunch of stuff that started long before they ever got to that night. You see, let me explain. Mary was pregnant. Mary was unmarried. She was espoused to Joseph when God came along and said, you're going to have my son. And so the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she became pregnant with the Christ child. During that time, it would have been so shameful for her to be married out or to have be pregnant out of wedlock. So much so that Joseph, her fiance, wanted to abandon her and had thoughts of doing so. And if God had not intervened and sent an angel to speak to him in a dream, then then he would have done so. And so we've got all the drama that goes into this. In fact, if Mary was here today, she would have been on MTV's Teen Mom, Young and Pregnant television show, right? Like, and all the drama that comes along with that. She would have felt that, and that was leading up to this moment for nine months. And then Caesar Augustus declares a decree and says he's imposing a census, and everybody had to go to their hometown. So since Mary was now with Joseph, she had to go to Bethlehem where he was from. And so they had to travel 80 to 120 miles. Now, I don't know about you, but 80 to 120 miles seems like an easy thing for us to do. That's a couple hours, maybe two and a half hours of a journey in a vehicle. But when you're on foot and on a donkey, that is a miserable ride. In fact, when you're about ready to give birth, if you've ever been around a pregnant woman who is that pregnant and about to give birth, she's miserable all the time. And that could not have been a great journey for either of them or anybody traveling alongside of them. And then when they get to Bethlehem, of course, you know the story, there's no room. And this is something we say, like it's just a laissez-faire thing, but that was a big deal because she was in travail. She knew the baby was coming And so they said, you can go out and sleep in the manger. And the manger was not a barn. The manger was likely a cave that the animals would have entered into to find shelter at night to stay warm. And so what we're talking about in this cave is that there's little air movement. And I want you to imagine all of the smells that come along with barnyard animals with no air movement means that you are sitting in there with all of the stink of the animal and every bodily function that they have. 
That's right. And so they're sitting in this cave with the animals. It's not a semi-private room. It's not a fully private room. Mary is giving birth to this child. There's no epidural. There's no doctors, and there is screaming. There is, uh, there is quite a chaotic scene. Now, I don't know about you, but I was in the, for your children, but I was in the hospital room when my kids were born, but it was not chaotic. We had a scheduled C-section um, because, because the, the boy's mom was, her life was, was threatened, and uh, so they, they said, we're going to take the babies tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., so we got up the next morning, and you know they gave her a few injections to numb her, and they cut up her stomach, and I, there was a mirror up there. I could see the doctor was like elbows deep in there getting the baby out, and so, but there wasn't a lot of screaming or a lot of travailing in, in, in the, the birthing room for my boys. The chaos started once the boys came out, right? Them crying and getting them cleaned up. And that was a beautiful time. So I don't have that experience of what it might've been like there. But my wife, well, she's given birth to a child, but she's also uh, has a very unique role that she has. See, in the hospital room, there are a, a lot of different roles. There's the doctor, there's the nurse, there's the nurse's aides, and then there's the support person, whether that be the husband or a family member or a friend that are oftentimes in the room. But nowadays they have this thing that I keep telling my wife is not a real thing. Uh, it's a birthing photographer. And uh, she goes, that means that her friends invite her into the room to take pictures of the child being born. Now, I don't think that's a great idea. I wouldn't want that done, but she assures me she stays up near their heads and she's just taking a picture of the doctor and the baby. So from the side that it's okay to see things. And I'm going to tell you something. She's shown me pictures of the chaos that is that room. And I'm not sure I can handle it. I got a little woozy when I saw the babies coming out of, out of, out of their mom's stomach. I was, is that blood? <laughs> blood. Ooh, I need to sit down. And that really happened. I don't think I could handle the chaos of the room. I saw one picture of, of amniotic fluid that had burst at one moment, and the doctor who rushed into the room to help didn't have time to put a mask on, and the fluid was headed right for their face. The picture snapped it in perfect timing. I'm telling you, this, it, this night that Jesus was born, it may have been a holy night, but it was a chaotic night. <laughs> but just like with every birthing process, in the midst of that chaos, the hope was on the other side of the fact that the child was going to arrive. And Jesus did arrive. And this is the scene in the cave as Mary gives birth. And today what I want to do is I want to zero in on a phrase in this song, O Holy Night. And my hope is, is that next time you listen to this song in particular, that when you hear this phrase, you'll key in on it and it becomes a moment of worship for you. It's not just something that you'll sing it's something that you'll, you'll have a moment with God, no matter where you're at, in your car, or in the store, or, or gathered around with family, that it becomes a very worshipful and powerful experience for you. And here is the phrase from the song, O Holy Night. It is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope. Man, I think if there are any two words that, that would describe the, the world today, or just to describe the environment that we are in, is a weary world. I mean, I am just tired. I don't know about you. It's easy to get tired. And I know we've been talking about this for months, but that's because it's been going on for months and months. This pandemic and COVID-19 has been here now nearly nine months. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting because 
the cases seem to be on the rise, and we currently are in, in Franklin County here in Ohio, a 28-day stay-at-home advisory. 28 days. We did this earlier this year, and we thought, man, I remember talking to my wife, and she's like, man, hopefully this goes on for, the, for, the, for this amount of time, and then it's over with, and we, we flattened the curve, and we're good. That was back in March. And then, and then April came along, and they added time to it. And then May came along, and June, and July, August, September, October. Now it's end of November. And it's difficult keeping hope alive. We're weary in this valley of uncertainty. We don't know whether we can schedule vacations. We don't know if we're able to schedule holiday time with our family members, or will we able to be, be able to schedule a wedding, or go to a birthday party, or visit a loved one in a hospital. With all this uncertainty around us, the world is wearying, not to mention we're in the middle of an election that is just continuing to drag on with even more uncertainty on both sides. And then on top of it all, it's a holiday season. And man, the holiday seasons are great for a lot of people, but for for a good number of people, the holiday seasons bring pain. They interact with family members that are hurtful. Families are divided for a number of different reasons and They come together and they argue and they fight and there's turmoil. They're weary headed into the holidays and all the the hustle and bustle of Christmas shopping. And and then there's a whole lot of people that what's heavy and wearying for the people during this holiday season is that this holiday season points out that they don't have family, that they don't have children of their own. Or if they do have children, that their children are estranged from them or that, that if they aren't married, or are married, maybe their spouse is, they're separated and they're experiencing all kinds of relational pain and entering into this season after the pandemic and all of the the, uh, social unrest and the election process here in the United States. We're a weary world. Not to mention all the other issues and problems that we have that are not even on 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 a nationwide scale. Money issues, relational issues, health issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues. Problems at the, at the office. We staying open or are we closing? Am I essential or non-essential? We're weary. We feel like we're fighting to stay above water. But I like that in this, there's this change up, right? There's a thrill of hope. Man, I don't know about you, but when you're weary and you have hope, there is a thrill that overtakes you that pushes you through whatever is making you weary. A thrill of hope. The weary world, they don't just hang their heads and cry. They rejoice because of a thrill of hope. There's a chain up. And for all of the people up until the time when Jesus was born, the Bible says that all of creation was groaning for this moment. And the night and the chaos when the Messiah might be born. The baby that would come who would just change everything. And that was Jesus. See, there's faith in this statement. The thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. My hope for you is that if you're weary today, that you would experience the thrill of hope and find you faith to rejoice again. Because in the chaos of the night, there's a new and glorious morning that is coming. My God, the new and glorious morning is coming and everything can change because a day with Jesus changes everything. So 
Let's jump into the scriptures. Let me take you to the Old Testament. We're going to look into the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. So there's the book Jeremiah written by Jeremiah. And then there's Lamentations, which means just what you think it means. It's a bunch of whining and crying. It's Jeremiah lamenting some things. And uh, this happens after the fall of Jerusalem in about 586 B.C., and the people are distraught and they're in chaos because Jerusalem has fallen and exile is what they are facing to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah, again, is, is whining and crying. But I want you to notice something that happens in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20 through 26. You can read all the things that he's whining about on your own time if you'd like to. But he says this, he, he makes a shift and he moves from mourning and crying to rejoicing and joy in the morning. So check it out. Here's what he says. He says, I well remember them. So like I said, you can read the verses before the bitterness and the gall and all the things that he's crying about. He says, I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. So the, the stuff that's happened to me has gotten me down. And maybe you can relate to that. The, the things that are surrounding you, you're thinking about them. You're tuning into them on social media. You're watching them on the news every day. You're talking about it with your coworkers and your spouse. This is all the stuff that's going on. It's all that you're talking about. And your soul is downcast within you. Jeremiah makes a shift here, and this is where we've got to jump on board. He said, yet. I like it when there's a yet or a but in Scripture because it means something's about to change. He said, yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Watch this. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. He's remembering like, hey, guys, we may be in chaos, we're about to be exiled, and this is a bad situation. But guess what? Because of the Lord's great love, we ain't dead yet. That means the fat lady ain't saying, it ain't over yet. And he's remembering that because of God's great love, they still there. So he says, hey, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. He says, I'm remembering this. I was only talking about that. I was only remembering that. Yet now I'm going to focus on this that I'm still here, and the reason I'm here is because of God's compassions that never fail. He said, they're new every morning. He said, tomorrow, he said, everything I've experienced today, I got more of it tomorrow. It just renews tomorrow. And look, and then Jeremiah gets so excited about it. He was talking to himself about God that he just breaks into praising God because he shifts from talking to himself to talking to God. He said, great is your faithfulness. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you're just reminding yourself about the goodness of God and you just get so overwhelmed with talking to yourself that you just start looking up at God like, you're so good. You're so good. Look at what you're doing. Joy. Watch what he does. He says, I say to myself, some of y'all are afraid to talk to yourself, but let me tell you something. You can start talking to yourself because when you start talking to yourself out loud, you know what happens? Your brain shuts up. All that negativity, all that stuff, that chaos, the turmoil, the trials, the tribulations, the pain in your life, all the stuff that you've been thinking about, all the stuff that you've been ruminating, going over and over in your mind saying, why has this happened? When you start talking and declaring God's goodness in your life, when you remember, your brain has to be silent so it can hear what you're saying. He says, so I say to myself, you say, Aaron, that's crazy. Yes, God uses the foolish things of man to confound the wise. Look, he wants to use this foolishness of talking to yourself to help you. God created you to do this. He said, I say to myself, the Lord's my portion. Hmm. Therefore, I'll wait for him. 
The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. He goes on, verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Man, Jeremiah is talking about the thrill of hope, a new and glorious morning. So today, here's what I want to do. There's three truths that are here in this verse that I want to focus on. Three truths that I believe that, that, that you can use from this text regarding what a new day with Christ will bring you. That new and glorious morning. Here's the first one. A new day with Christ will bring you exactly what you need. Now, it's not exactly what you want. It's exactly what you need. Because you know as well as I do that exactly what you want is very, very different from what you need. Like, I want a brand new luxury car, but that's not what I need. What I need is just reliable transportation to get from here to there. I want a full and overflowing abundance in my bank account, but that's not what I need. What I need is to learn to trust God every day, right? What I need to learn is how to steward what God has given me, right? Because he's always, I know he's always given me enough. What I want is comfort and luxury all day, every day, but that's not actually what I need because discomfort is what creates character in me. Controversy and issues are what create or build me up, that trials and tribulations, God uses them. Oh, come on, somebody. I know this is, this is tough to hear, but it's truth that God uses those things to build you up. Comfort and luxury is not what you need. I want two Chipotle burritos. Two, uno dos. But that's not what I need. It's what I want. You get the point. What you want is not what you need. They're different things. But when a new day with Christ begins, you have, it brings exactly what you need. Back to Jeremiah, what he said, he said, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So he's talking to himself, reminding himself, because you'll often forget when you get into the thick of the situation, the chaos and the issues in life, you forget that God is your portion. Paul reminds us on a regular basis, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he said, we have to renew our minds. That just means we need to remember. We got to tell ourselves how good God is. Remember that God is my portion. He gives me what I need. You say, Aaron, what does that even mean that God is my portion? Well, theologians tell us that this is referring back to what happened when the people of Israel left Egypt and were on their way to the promised land. See, God showed up in a big way for them because they didn't have any food. And so God showed up in the form of manna. He provided them with heavenly bread. That's what manna means. Every morning they would get up, there would be this, this bread on the ground around them. And God told them to go out and to collect it. And he told them to collect only what they needed for the day. Because if they got extra, by the morning, that bread, that manna was covered in maggots and had gotten, gone rotten. And so God says, I'm going to be your portion. I'm going to give you exactly what you need today. And what he was trying to do was teach them that he is sufficient in every single day. He will give them exactly what they need. In fact, that we need him every single day. Solomon, the wisest guy who ever walked this earth, wrote all the Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes, right? Highly sought after by kings and, and princes and princesses and pharaohs of his day. He wrote this, he, he prayed, God, give me what I need and no more. He, he said, God, don't, don't, don't give me less than what I need because if you give me less than what I need, I'll resent you. He said, and if you give me more than what I need, I'll forget you. So don't give me less or give me more. Give me exactly what I need. It's a wise 
prayer. In fact, Jesus told us to ask God to give us our daily bread. He's trying to teach us what he's been trying. In that moment, Jesus is trying to teach us what God has been trying to teach his people all throughout scripture, that we need to learn to rely on him daily for what we need that day because he'll give us exactly what we need. The Lord is our daily portion. And here's the thing. Jesus said not to worry about tomorrow. Today's troubles are sufficient. God will give you everything you need for today. And here's the good news. And here's why you don't have to worry about tomorrow. God's already in tomorrow right now. God's not bound by time. He's already there. And he's already got enough provided for you for tomorrow. He's good that way. He has everything you need already there, whatever it may bring. He's what your marriage needs right now. Whatever lack you have in your marriage, he is what your marriage needs. If you find yourself in a situation where you are weak and need strength, he is your strength. If you find yourself in a situation where you are lost, you don't know up from down or right from wrong, which direction to go, he is the way. If you are hurting right now, maybe you're hurting in a relationship, maybe you're hurting financially, maybe you're hurting in your body, he is the comfort that you need. If you're down and depressed, he is where the joy is at. God is, has everything you need. He has everything that you need because he is everything that you need. He is your portion. And so a new day with Jesus gives exactly or brings exactly what you need. It also brings this. It brings the hope to keep going. The song said, the thrill of hope. See, when all you see is darkness and the chaos of the night, there is hope to keep going. Jeremiah said this, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Author Hal Lindsay says this about hope. He said, we can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without oxygen, but we can only live seconds without hope. Hope is that important to us. We must hold on to hope. And a new day with Jesus brings all the hope to keep going. I think too many of us today are just trying to live a life that is deprived of hope. And the truth is, if we're being honest, we struggle to know where to put hope. What can we place our hope in? Who can we place our hope in? And we try lots of things. We put our hope in the stock market, but the stock market fails us because it's fickle. It goes up and down based on feelings and emotions. We try to put our hope in our jobs and in our company, and our companies fail us. Man, we personally experienced that in my family. My father worked for a company for 29 and a half years, six months before he retired and was able to just live on his retirement after investing so much time and life and energy into that. That company at 29 and a half years in for him went bankrupt. Our companies will fail us. We place our hope in a person. People will fail us. We place our hope in an outcome. We work and work and work and work and work to try to influence the outcome of something and it doesn't turn out the way that we had hoped. It will, they will fail us. We try to place our hope in politicians and presidents and presidents elect. We try to put our hope in ourselves and we fail ourselves. We try to stock, we put our hope in our stockpile a stockpile of our food and our guns, and those things too will fail. We try to put our hope in all these different things, and all of them will eventually fail because they are not trustworthy. They are not things we can put our hope in. They're all the wrong places. 
And as a result of placing our hope in all the wrong places, we become hopeless and weary. We must put our hope in God alone. He alone is trustworthy. And it's not good enough just to put a little dabble, do you? No, Hebrews 10, 23 tells us the kind of hope that we should do, put in, or the kind of hope that we should have. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. God is good. Years ago, I went skydiving. And buddy, when you're skydiving, there's not a whole lot you can put your hope in. I mean, you can put your hope in your screaming. You can put your hope in your flailing. You can put your hope in the person behind you that's, that's, that's attached to your body. You can put your hope in, in, in flapping your arms if you want to to try to save you. You can put your hope in that you're going to land in a body of water and that that isn't going to kill you. You can put your hope in the fact that you're going to, that you fluffy enough that you're going to hit the ground and bounce a few times. But I'll tell you what, the best thing you can put your hope in is the one thing that's sure in that moment, it's your parachute. So when I was skydiving and I jumped out of that plane, you know what I held on to? I didn't hold on to my breath. I held on to my parachute. Ah! As we fell out of that plane. Listen, that's, that's what holding on unswervingly looks like. You want to hold on for dear life to the one thing that will provide you hope. And that's Jesus. Because he who promised is faithful. He's the only one who's worthy. You've got to hold on to him like a parachute as we free fall to the earth unswervingly. But in this season, I'm going to tell you, it's already difficult when we go through tough times relationally, lose our jobs, financial issues, health issues. It's already tough to hold on to our hope because of what we see that's in front of us, right? It's, t- it's tough because the doctor's report seems so, so real because the empty, empty spot in the bed next to you seems so real. The child whose fever hasn't broken yet, it seems so real. It's hard to hold on to hope. But then we entered into this, this pandemic season and all this uncertainty and all the social unrest and all the stuff that is going on. I'm sad to tell you that if reports are to be believed and, and numbers across this country are to be believed, there's a whole lot of people who have lost hope. And the only one who is faithful and the only one who is worth placing their hope in. Stop praying. Stop reading their Bibles. Stop showing up for church on Sunday. Stop serving. Stop giving. Stop making a difference. They've stopped investing and having their hope in the one who is faithful. And they're adding the weight to their world. And they're weary. But I'm here to encourage you today. Let go of your stress. Let go of your fears. Let go of your anxiety. It's the reason why you're holding on to all this other stuff. It's the reason why you're putting your hope in a person and in a politician. You gotta let go of all that fear. We gotta let go of all that anxiety and doubt. We've gotta learn to hold on to hope no matter what happens in the dark chaos of night because God is worthy. God is good. 
God is faithful. He is where the joy is, and he's the only place that you can put your hope. So let us unswervingly hold on to our hope in Jesus. Somebody today needs hope. You need hope, so don't give up. Don't let go of hope. A new and glorious morning in Christ brings everything that we need and hope to keep going. It also brings the help that you're seeking. Jeremiah said this, he said, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that's what we need. We need salvation. We need saved from something. We need help. It's something that is beyond us. We can't do it on our own. And every other place that we put our hope has failed us thus far. We need salvation for our souls. And some of you, that's exactly what you need. You find yourself far from God. And in just a few moments, we're going to pray a prayer where all of that can change in a moment because there is a new and glorious morning that has dawned for you because Jesus is here. Others of us, you need saved from a difficult situation, from the financial hole that you've dug yourself in, from a relational deficit that you have built over time, from the despair of the cycle of addiction. You need salvation from that. Others of you, you need salvation from the labels that people have put on you, the consequences of the poor decision-making that you've had in your life, or the injustice of racism and equality, the end and inequality, excuse me, that you have experienced. You need saved from it. It's good to wait on the Lord. He is the one who brings salvation. Wait for it. It's amazing the difference that one day can make. That I know that today it feels wearying, but wait on it. God's mercies are new every morning. Wait on the next day. Wait for it. Because man, even though your situation looks dark, even if something looks to you on the surface like it's dead and the opportunity has passed you by, the Spirit of God raises dead things back to life. I'm going to tell you something. Look at, look at in the Scriptures, Jesus' friend Lazarus. He had been dead for four days when Jesus showed up on the scene. <clears throat> and we see Jesus, he's socially distancing himself from Lazarus, not because there was a pandemic, but because the Bible says that surely he stinketh. You know it's bad when, when you've been described as you stinketh right? He's been dead for four days. He said, open the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And that guy got up out of that grave. It's amazing the difference that one day with Jesus can make. There's a woman who had an issue of blood. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know that no doctors, no medicine could help her. And for 12 years, she had suffered with this bleeding issue. And she was unable to get it under control. And as a result of, of bleeding, she was ceremonially unclean, could not go to the temple. She was an outcast and other people couldn't touch her or they would become unclean as well and unfit for worship. And one day she'd had enough. She breaks through a crowd and she touches the hem of the garment of Jesus because she told herself, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. And the Bible says that, that virtue left Jesus's body when she touched him and she was healed. And it wasn't essential oils or some other kind of superstitious practice that saved her. It was the difference of one day what Jesus made. There was a man who laid by the pool Bethsaida. He'd been lame for 38 years, hadn't been able to get up and walk. And he believed by laying there at this pool that there was, there was some superstitious belief that angels would come down and trouble the water. And when the waters were troubled, the first person into the water would get healed. And so he laid there 
based on this false belief. And Jesus comes along and says, do you want to be well? And he's like, yeah, I do. But when the waters get troubled, nobody, nobody takes me there. And other people get in before I do. Jesus told him to pick up his mat and go walk. And he was healed. The difference one day with Jesus makes. A moment, it changes everything. The one thing that these three people had in common that you can have in common as well is an encounter with Jesus. Some of you are living in the darkness of your night right now. You're in the darkest point of your life that you've ever experienced, but I'm here to tell you that a new day is coming, that if you were to sit back and you were to quiet your heart, you would hear that the cattle are lowing, that there is a woman in travail, and that there is a child about to burst forth onto the scene, a new day where Jesus enters the scene of your life. In just a moment, it can happen. Jesus is about to step onto the scene, and a new day with Jesus brings exactly what you need and the hope to keep going and the help that you're seeking. Paul said this, he said, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He said, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Romans 13, 11 through 12. But I'm here to tell you, your night is nearly over. Some of you need to say that in the chat right now. Some of you just need to declare it. You need to choose that. My night's nearly over. Go ahead and type it in there. My night's nearly over. My night's nearly over. And the new day is almost here. Because in the morning, you're nearer to your salvation. And all that you need today, it's here. It's found in Jesus. He is the thrill of hope. He is the one that gives joy so that the weary world can rejoice. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. Let's pray together. Father, today my prayer is, is that, these, that those that identify, man, I'm in the darkest time of my life right now. The pandemic, the holidays, even with just all the issues that come along with life. I feel like somebody right now is struggling with their education. Somebody's struggling with their mind. Somebody is struggling with their marriage. Lord, you have all that they need everything that they need. So right now, as they turn to you, that that's you and I'm talking to you today, whatever it is that you need, if you would just simply right now say, God, I need you. Put your hope in him. Take a step. It's time to trust him. He's got everything that you need. He's got all the help that you need. And there's hope that will get you through this wearying time. So God, give them hope in the darkness. Help them today, Lord. Give them all the help from unexpected places that they need. Please, sure. Please, all your hope in Him. So, Jesus, I need you. And for those of you that are here today that, that are tuned in, it would say you're, you find yourself, you're, you're far from God. You find yourself in a place like, like the, the author of our song, where, well, he knew the story about Jesus but he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know the peace. He didn't know the joy. He didn't have the hope. In fact, he declared himself an atheist. He didn't even believe in God. But that doesn't need to be your story. 
today you can have a thrill of hope. That whatever you're going through, God has everything that you need. He's got all the help that you need. And the hope to make it through your day, to keep on going. And the way that you receive all that is by, by just entering into a relationship with God. You do that through his son, Jesus. God desperately wants you to know him. He's been passionately pursuing you your entire life. There's this gap that exists between you and him, you see. And it's, it's the gap that he is holy and perfect and we are not. We're sinful. And our sin separates us. And God, in order to bridge that gap, sent his son Jesus, who was perfect and lived sinless, to pay the penalty that we would have to pay. Because the penalty for our sin is death. But not just dying once, it's eternity in separation from God. It's an eternal death. Where we would spend our eternity paying for our sins. But see, there's the thing. If a perfect person were to die in our place, well, then a substitution could be made. The price could be paid for us. And God knew that, so he sent Jesus to pay that price. Jesus walked the earth for 33 sinless, perfect years of his life. He willingly died on a cross for you and was raised to life on the third day. And because of his sacrifice, his blood shed, paid the price for you and I's sins. We can't earn that. We can't work for it. We don't have to. We simply need to receive it in the same way we would receive a Christmas gift. And it's with humility and grace we say thank you. And so today, the way that you can receive the gift that Jesus gave us on the cross is just to say, Jesus, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I'm going to trust that your ways are better than mine. I'm going to put my faith and my hope in you. So if that's you right now and you're watching in our online campus, there's a button that says, I'm raising my hand. Would you do that now? That lets people know in our, in our campus that somebody's making that commitment. We want to celebrate with you in a moment. If you're watching uh, through any other online medium, uh, through Facebook or through our YouTube channel, uh, th- there's ways for you to indicate. Man, you can, you can click on a connect card that's found in the description and let us know. Man, I said yes to Jesus today. But raising your hand and letting us know, regardless of whether you do those things, I need you to pray this prayer and I need you to pray it out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you and help me tell others about you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, all of heaven is rejoicing with you. Simple Church is rejoicing with you as well. If you look over in the comments, there are people that are celebrating with you. Man, we can't wait to celebrate with you. If you fill out that connection card that I mentioned before, the digital connection card gives us an opportunity to make sure you have a Bible, that you understand what your next steps are, and that you understand how to get connected with us even more as a church, because you're not meant to walk this spiritual journey on your own. We want to help you. Please take the next step as well and fill out that connect card. We're so proud of you and so pleased to welcome you into our spiritual family and to introduce you to the hope. It's Jesus. He's all you're ever going to need. Now today, as we wind up or wrap up our surface, uh, service, excuse me, I want to give an opportunity for you to give. Man, your generosity is making a huge difference this Christmas season. <clears throat> we're so excited that we just closed one of our campaigns where we were able to make a difference in 103 kids' lives this year. For Christmas, we were able to buy gifts for them and uh, in, in the Franklin, Fairfield, and Licking County areas here and uh, right in, in Ohio. And I'm so proud of you guys. Your generosity just bowls me over. We're also able just to give 28 meals, uh, Thanksgiving meals to the Dream Center that were distributed and the families were so bowled over. They had no idea they were getting so much 
We also wrote letters to them of encouragement and prayed for them. And it's just really, really cool. Your generosity is so amazing. So thanks for your giving. There's ways to do that on the screen. You can text to give, use your app to give. You can go online to give, or you can even mail it in. All that information is there. Thank you for so, so much for continuing to give. It is making a difference here in Ohio and around the world with our mission partners as well. Uh, so as we wrap up, just want to say thanks again for being here this week. Next week, we'll have a brand new song that we're going to look at. Oh, come all ye faithful. So do that. Invite a friend to join you to watch online. Share this content on your social media and uh, invite people to join you, especially somebody you know needs to hear a message just like this one. God bless you guys. I miss you guys so much and I love you so much. Can't wait to see you here next week at our online campus, Simple Church. God bless.